0: Greetings, I um, consider it a blessing to be a part of a service like this, with a song that are chosen, and sung together to the Lord, the message, and the open sharing, and the practical children's lesson, thank you. And um, I'm blessed. We are blessed. So, thank you. Thank you all for coming out, that you have come out. And uh, I uh, don't really want to comment a lot on Lindell's message, but I am absolutely a creature of habit. I don't like change. Now, sometimes, sometimes I have gotten so tired of something in my life that I really did want change. And that is, that's right. Then there are some times that things changed in life that I thought were not as good. And sometimes they're outside of our control, <laughs> And that's part of life also. So um, this morning we're going to pray in a little bit but we're going to uh, go to first Peter again like we had. Um, you don't have to turn there yet we'll just one of you stand up for a word of prayer before we go into the message. Lord, thank you, thank you Lord for uh, being here this morning and blessing us blessing us in our past, blessing us in the changes you have made in our lives, and pointing us and directing us in the way that you want us to go and the grace that you have given to us that is available. Lord, we are thankful for that. And Lord, we just pray also you would continue your work this morning in this part of the service. I pray you bless Bless both the giving and the receiving of your word. I pray, Lord, as we open up your word and look at it, that it may assimilate, settle down in our hearts, that it may find root. I pray, Lord, you would, uh, if we're looking for change, I pray, Lord, if we need change this morning, I do pray you would create that in us according to your standard and your will and purpose. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. <clears throat> Last message I would have had uh, on Deacons, but the time before was on First Peter. And we are in First Peter chapter three. And in the first part of First Peter chapter three. I had said there are two topics in those first verses that are very unpopular in our society. In fact, they're even in some cases completely off limits in our modern liberated society. And those two topics anybody want to guess what they were? (laughs) Two topics that are. Controversial or off limits in our society. Some of you were not here, so I understand that. And if you remember, oh, submission. 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 Okay. Yep. That's it. Any other? non adorning. non adorning. Yeah you you got you got the uh, the two topics. Yes. Um, so women's submission to their husbands in modesty and modesty in dress, which in this case, in this one here, is non-adorning. You are correct exactly right. And I addressed the first message on the, titled it the complementarian model, which is in which is the idea that men and women are equal in value, equal in their salvation and their standing before God. Equal in their sinfulness, equal in their need for salvation, equal in value, but different in roles, which is not accepted um, by a large number of our society, society, and even in in a lot of churches, it's being challenged. So the egalitarian view erases any role distinction between men and women. Now I had said that we stand on a position of strength in the in the in the, the complementarian view because uh, okay let me let me frame a little bit the um, what we have in general evangelical churches we have some churches who are who are now egalitarian and then we have others who are holding on to complementarian which is the role that we would have, we would believe in here. But they are doing it from a place of weakness. And we are from a place of strength. And I explained it because decades and decades ago, when the whole divorce issue was spawning in our society, the churches needed to grapple with it, and most of them capitulated and accepted divorce and remarriage, and even in leadership. And so, when when these when they're being challenged with the egalitarian view, they say, "No, that's wrong." We say, "Well, you have accepted the divorce." In other words, um, <clears throat> the compromise. Let me say, the compromise begets compromise. So it has weakened the the church's position on moral, on the moral high ground. Another area that is being challenged in the churches today from society is the whole homosexual movement. And of course, it has spawned into a lot more than that. (laughs) But the same issue is there. Why can't you accept that lifestyle? when you have clearly compromised in this here. Talking about divorce. Then the the whole area of uh, the headship veil is another area that the church has lost and that we have held on to as God's word. And so what I wanted to say here at the beginning is there's a number of areas where when it comes to complementarian, we have an area of strength. We are going to be challenged by our culture, but we have maintained a broad range of obedience to God's word that the other churches generally have not, and they are at a weakened position, even in this area. Um, I had said about there, there there is a very famous pastor in New York City. You've probably read some of his books. He was challenged by someone, well, not challenged, he was questioned by someone, a a seeker, a new Christian, uh, why women can't take all the roles in the church. And he took them to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and he explained to them why, why it's so. Well, he said, in this context, it also talks about... Uh, prohibits women from enhancing their look, like their makeup and jewelry and dressing nicely. This is his words. And this pastor tried to convince this new Christian that the one applies, but the other one no longer does. Or <laughs> as, as the prohibitions and so on. <clears throat> and the young man did not buy it, and he became an egalitarian. Complementarian and modesty was taught by most of the church for all its history until recently. Most churches taught in some form uh, modesty, simplicity, and reserve. They shunned glamour and display and fashion of some form. But largely today, that is no longer taught or practiced, and it's pretty well been left go in most areas. But from still from that compromised position, they're trying to hold on to a complementary complementary view of church life. And the reason I'm bringing that out is I want us to appreciate the capital and the strength that we have as a church. We have, uh, we talked about Lot this morning. Lot was in an extremely compromised position. Abraham was in a position of strength. And when the crisis came, one of them capitulated and the other did not. Now, it's more involving than just that, but it, it it has that so we have, we have much to be blessed for. We can look at many of the faults we have. We can look at many of the needs we have. We can look at, we can be critical of where we ought to be. We have many strengths. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read the first six verses. <clears throat> Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, That, if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. That's an interesting passage. And there's an interesting tension in this passage that I th- I think I want to just draw out a little bit here. Wives submit, and then wives aggressively pursue. There's a tension in here, if you see it. Because submission is not inactivity. It's a little bit like waiting on the Lord. What is waiting on the Lord? You need to wait on the Lord. Well, waiting on the Lord is actively walking with God in obedience to Him, walking through life while you are waiting for Him to fulfill some promise. Or something that you have asked him to do. You are waiting. But while you are waiting, you're not inactive. Absolutely not. Waiting is not inactivity. Submission is not inactivity. It's actually active. It's a lifestyle. It's a mode of life. It's an action. And I'm going to get a little bolder. uh, In this context, it's it's about an unbelieving husband. But submission is an adventure. (laughs) Well, it's a walk of faith might be a better. A walk of faith is an adventure, right? Um, A walk of faith is difficult. A walk of faith is flesh denying. It's cross bearing. Just like any other walk of faith. And this passage here that we read is addressed to wives, <clears throat> um, telling them how to relate with their husbands in practical ways, what to focus on, and what not to emphasize. And I just want to, in the beginning here, just want to the two things about wives when it comes to husbands. When it comes to husbands, wives, nagging doesn't work. The silent treatment is going to be counterproductive, at least in the long term. The cold shoulder will not warm your husband to Jesus. Running your mouth will not cause him to run to the Lord. But chaste... And respectful and reverent and graceful behavior does have the potential to change your husband. Now, one other thing I need to bring out is Peter says he may be one. That is actually not saying he will be one. There is not a promise here. Live this way towards your difficult husband Whoever one of you wives has a difficult husband, don't put your hand up. Live this way towards your difficult husband because it is right to do so. Because God has told you to do so. Not, you are in behavior towards your husband because it's God's will. God wants you to. You are hopeful he will change. But if he doesn't change, it makes not the difference because you're not doing it to change your husband. You're doing it because God says, this is what I want you to do. And he may change. But if he doesn't, you will still do that. Now, we can't get into all the details of how that works out. The topic this morning is on the verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and a wearing of gold or a putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit and then we have the parallel passage in first timothy chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 which where i just read here in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which become of women professing godliness with good works. Conservative American churches at large still teach, rightfully so, that pornography is wrong. It's a sin. It's a bondage. It's a bondage that traps primarily men as tightly as any drugs or alcohol ever do. But these same churches that teach this and practice this do not teach what the Bible instructs when it comes to the directives and prohibitions on women's attire and grooming. Now, when it comes to porn, uh, I was listening to Arthur Nisley. I just want to give a little bit of The dimension here, and this is a mixed multitude, but it's not going to be graphic. I just want to explain because there may be benefit here. Uh, The first commercially produced magazine of porn came out in 1953, December of 1953. Before that, there was no commercially available pornography. And those were pictures. And now today, that industry has morphed into the whole digital world where you have the amount of stimulation and entrapment is increased multifold. And so porn, as we know it, is a fairly new industry. And in some ways, unfortunately... The church is playing some catch-up. And we had better catch-up. Now, in Bible times, um, and I want to say, men and young men, especially boys, I want you to know if you ever get in any kind of exposure to it, Run away from it like you would. You'd put the most scary thing you can think of. This is worse. You don't want anything to do with it. Now, in Bible times, there was no photography. Obviously, not. In Bible times, there's not even a real paper. Uh, there was not even a print world. There was no virtual world in the Bible times when this was written. There was only the real world. Imagine that. (laughs) All you had was the real world. And how a woman dressed and acted in person was the only real way to stimulate desire and lust in men. It was in real life because there was no other avenue. But today, with the photography and video and media and advertisement and news, and we are absolutely tsunami with stimulation in this area. Now, there's a, this message can't address all the areas. I'm going to uh, narrow the subject of the thing at hand, which is the woman's attire, what she wears, what she puts on, and and it, this this could this could be a multi-message uh, multi-message messages because why what we wear has to do with it has to do with identity, it has to do with status, it has to do with um, just peer pressure, it has a. Uh, entire world of reasons why we why we dress the way we do, and it's going to be fairly narrow. But I'd like to say this again: we begin from a position of strength. We are blessed in this area, in this church, with our ladies. <clears throat> the revival of the 80s and 90s among the conservative Anabaptist churches actually resulted in more modesty today than there was in my youth. Back when my wife worked at Moyers Clothing Factory where now the Effort of Business Center is that. That used to be a sewing factory. Hundreds of ladies worked in that sewing factory. And uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the people, I don't know all the deals, but a lot of the people, ladies that worked there were second-income families. You know, the husband worked away and the wife worked there, older ladies and things like that from, from the general society. And then there was a significant cluster of young Mennonite girls that worked there. And at times there was conflict between those two. Uh, I'm not sure what all it was. Whether the young Mennonite girls came in and they could work faster than some of those older ladies, or the music was an issue. Um, but there was there was tension at times. One of the I don't know, what you call it an accusation, whatever it was. One of the one of the things that were thrown at the Mennonite girls from a general society woman was. We are more modest in our slacks than those girls are in their dresses, and it was true. It was absolutely true. <clears throat> there was um, the knee-length dresses, the bobby socks, and the sharp—you know—it was plenty there for a carnal young man to lust after. Or any, yeah. Now, 15 years later, it was significantly different in the Anabaptist churches. And I don't know how all this happened, but the, the charity revival, or the charity movement, let's say it that way, uh, had a had a ripple effect. And change, things changed. Positive things happened. There was actually a much-needed correction and a return to modesty and simplicity that happened from the time of my youth to later on. Listen, many of the churches were at the verge. Well, they were no longer modest. Let's just say it that way. They were at the verge of even losing more. And it was regained at a vital time. Could you imagine if that correction would not have taken place, what we would look like today? Good question. So we are at a blessed place but like all truths, all truths are they're subject to decay, to decay and decline. Like the sign that I seen at our dentist when I was years ago. You don't have to floss all your teeth. Just the ones you want to keep. <laughs> you don't have to speak on all the truths to the church. Just the ones you want to keep. So there's the ground that are won in revival can be slowly lost. There can be a slacking off, a watering down, a drift, and an eventual return to where we were or worse. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning, Peter says. Women like to adorn, they are created and are wired that way. Um, God actually made us to be creative and inventive and um, imaginative. And adorning is, is just part of the, the world that, that God has created. So what's the problem in doing that with our dress or our hair or our accessories? Well, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, but, I'm going to just miss that passage, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. What is the matter with taking our God-given desire to adorn, our, uh, to be artistic and so on, is that we, like like everything else that God gives us, God gives us good gifts, and almost every gift he gives us can be twisted And made into something wrong. And, and it's twisted to suit fallen carnal nature. We take that creative artistic impulse and use it to draw attention to ourselves, to our bodies, to our person for selfish reasons. And that selfish reason can be varied. it cannot always be stimulated for, for central reasons. It, it's, it's other reasons, peer pressure and, and um, status and, and various things like that. <clears throat> Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the hair, wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. We heard a little bit about holiness this morning. Holiness is when our value system aligns with God's values. Now, That's probably not completely correct. Our value system and our experience probably. But, The thing that we value and esteem, when they match God's value system, that's the pathway for holiness. God has values. He has a judgment of what is right and what is important. And to the degree that our values and consequently our behavior align with what God values, to that degree we are holy. That's holiness. Peter says earlier, be ye holy because I am holy. And without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Now I want you to think of our American society. Remember? To the degree that our values and consequently our behavior align with what God values, to that degree we are holy. Think of our American society and i'm thinking about clothing now dress adornment i want you to think of the advertising industry the ads the billboards what's on the news the celebrities the artists and musicians the politicians and the general public do their values align with god's values Particular in the subject at hand, their appearance. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning. Listen, we live, we are living saturated in an unholy culture. Let's, let's, I'm sure you knew that. A culture that doesn't even think of what God values. They openly flaunt their values. That's not even a question. We all know that. The question for us is, how much do my values align with God's? Peter says, let it not be that outward adorning. And then he says, "Let it be, the hidden man of the heart." And if you look at regular English, that might see, "Well, it's something that you can let be." <laughs> it's actually a little stronger than that. It's a little stronger than that. Acts four ten. Don't turn there. It's the same. The same word is used. "Let it be." It's one word in the Greek. It's a. Be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Peter talking. Be it known. In other words, this is this is what happened. <laughs> and in Galatians one eight. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. It's a strong term. So let it be. This is the way it is. So God is talking specifically to women this morning. These are gender directives. Do not adorn yourself. And then give some examples. Don't adorn yourself in how you do your hair, or with jewelry, or with your clothing. And in, in Paul and Timothy expands on clothing by forbidding costly array. Expensive, luxurious, high class, name brand clothing. Now those are the specifics and there's a general theme. Basically, the general theme is downplay the external. Instead, emphasize the eternal, the hidden man of the heart. That's the general theme. Ladies, every one of you, you have a hidden man of the heart. That's the way Peter's terms it. You have a hidden man of the heart. Your body, I'm sorry, and a hidden man of the heart. And it's that part of you is not corruptible. Unlike your body, which that was a good children's lesson illustration. Unlike your body, which is going to get old and wear out. Your body is our body. Your body is going to get older and it's going to wear out. And eventually, it's going to be consumed. It's going to go away. But the hidden man of their heart is lasting. It's eternal. It's going to stick around. A million years from now, your body, who knows where it is, but your hidden man of the heart is still there. Your heart is not temporal. Therefore, therefore emphasize your heart. Put value and condition on your heart. Adorn your heart. And then God gives some specifics. What do you think if you say adorn your heart? What should a woman what is if you would be writing scripture or you'd be God maybe and you're thinking now what what, what would be good in a woman? What would be good to for her to adorn her heart with, I wonder what you would put in there. Would you put well, adorn your heart with love, maybe, maybe? Uh, maybe he could say you should be adorn your heart with purity, maybe, or something, you know. But what did he say? He said, "The adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price." Your hidden man of the heart, that which is going to stay with you forever, adorn it with mildness and gentleness and humility. A quiet spirit, and I'm reading, I think, probably out of one of the, I'm not sure, I didn't, a quiet spirit, properly keeping one's seat by implications still undisturbed and undisturbing. <laughs> well, You just get the gist of it, okay? Now, if we work backwards from the heart of a woman that is meek, that is mild, that is gentle, that is quiet, and you work backwards from the heart to her attire, then you get a little bit of a picture of what her attire will be like. A mild, gentle heart will mean mild, gentle humble clothing, quiet clothing. And then we, alongside Peter, we take the exhortation of Paul. Paul is a little more direct because in Peter, you can get the implication of what clothing you put on, but he just says, don't adorn yourself. And he has some externals. Then he says, adorn yourself with the heart. And so by implication, you can get to clothing, but Paul is more direct. He says not to adorn. Then he, um, but Paul gives more direction. Yeah, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, and then not with the gold broidered hair and so on. So women are to actually adorn themselves. Their outside person. He says adorn themselves. Actually, you are actually told to adorn yourself. And now you are. Every one of us adorns ourselves. We, <clears throat> adorn is the word cosmos. It's the word used about the world, where God made the world. He created the world. He actually structured and ordered it and made it the way he wanted it. He cosmosed the world. And therefore, you are to cosmos yourself Also. <clears throat> Put some thought on how you organize your attire. And modest is actually a variation of the word adorn. I don't know if I can get the teaching out as clear as I'd like to. But modest, actually, the, with modest apparel, the definition or the verb, the adjective modest, is actually meals it's a variation. It's actually wear, orderly, decorous, appropriate clothing. Because clothing is not a non-issue for a Christian woman. And then he says, with shamefacedness and sobriety. Now that is actually a heart condition. A reserved and a self controlled heart with reserved and self-controlled appropriate clothing. And we know that because Paul then tells women how not to arrange themselves, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, which is not uh, reserved or self-controlled or appropriate. And so... This reserved and disciplined heart, which is of great value in God's sight, and that is amazing. God values this heart, ladies. That reserved and disciplined heart is expressed in the outside with an orderly, decorous, appropriate, Clothing, and not showy, not flashy, and not elaborate, not in a way to draw attention to oneself in an inappropriate way. Now, it's there's just a huge area of places I could go to, but I don't have time this morning. I didn't have time even in preparation, but it has been presented more recently that the issue of lust or immodest dress is not even addressed in these two passages. So some have taken the liberty to say that that these passages on dress, not adorning, has more to do with modesty of financial or how much you spend on clothing rather than the type of clothing. Um, It's about financial modesty and not about physical modesty. And that is actually true. There is no mention here made of dressing in a certain way to avoid inappropriate sensual attraction to the men. There's nothing said there. So, what does that mean? Well, I would tell you one thing you will not ever hear that idea that how a woman dresses has no impact on other people. Not from secular society, you won't hear that. The dress for success, the um, the fashion designers, the white collar workers, well, basically everybody, they all know that the way a woman dresses has an impact on men. It's like music. Probably a generation or two ago, when... There were some Christians who wanted to expand the genre of Christian music. They wanted to have worldly music, but they didn't want to actually listen to that because it was wicked music. So they wanted to bring that music in to the Christian world and could put good words to it. And their argument was that music is amoral. Music is neither right or wrong. It's just a vehicle. You, it's just your vehicle you drive in, and then the words make it right or wrong. Well, the secular world wasn't saying that. The only people who were saying that were the people who wanted to justify it. <clears throat> and that's how we get Christian rock and jazz and all the other kinds of, uh, yeah, rock, rap, and jazz, and absolutely other type. And then you can get any kind of Christian music, with any kind of genre. But the problem is, music is not amoral. <laughs> it is absolutely not. It's very powerful. It it is a language that reaches the soul. It it affects you. Music bypasses the mental faculty goes right to the heart, and has an impact. And it's not immoral. And the kind of music you listen to will affect your life. It'll affect your attitude. It'll affect your character. It'll affect your choices. Clothing affects others as well. Clothing is always connected somehow to sexuality. Positively or negatively. I want to do an exercise with you ladies. Now, this is the exercise. I'm going to write some letters on the word, on the word, uh, the board. I'm going to write a couple of words on the board. And I want you to only look at the letters and not read the words. I want to see if you can be successful. Try it. You see that letter? Okay. See those letters? Okay. Okay, all those letters there. How many of you do not know what it says? Any hands? You cannot not read it. Now I want to go to our subject this morning. A man cannot not see an attractive woman. Essentially, dressed woman. In the same way that you cannot not read that. One time, I was delivering at a strip mall at a store and on the way out I had to go through another parking lot it was a Hooters parking lot I don't know what Hooters is, I hope you don't know what they are it's a restaurant where the women dress almost nothing the waitresses and I damaged the car as I was going through this parking lot uh, the way you had to go out and I damaged it. And I had to go in there. I was keenly aware of every where every woman was in that place and I could not look at anything except the face of that woman I was talking to. A man cannot not see such a woman. Because he is intensely aware of her. It's wired into him. Deeper than the exercise of reading. Is wired into you. It's the way God made him. It's automatic. And it's consistent. And a woman's attire. Is a primary element. In the. Automatic attraction. Now, the men of the world lust all the time. All the time. It's a general, that's a general, general thing. Holy men of God do not. Christian men do face temptation. And it's a major area of testing in our lives. And they are called by God to rise above it, regardless of the environment they are in. They are called by God to rise above that in a very high degree. 1 Thessalonians 4, I'll read a few verses here. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. I'm talking to the men now that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, or not in lustful passions, even as the Gentiles which know not God. They do that. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Holiness. Aligning our values with God's values. Not just our values, but our values and our behaviors with God's values. And, and yeah, not behaviors. He is holy. Jesus' teaching on the heart lust is so serious, he says we should pluck out our eye rather than let it go on. Clearly. We need to get rid of the stuff that pulls us in that direction. And by the grace of God, get free. And if there's anyone here, listen, if there's anyone here that is caught up, open up to somebody you can trust. Get help. Now, what about our sisters? What is modesty? I got this from a dictionary. Modesty, sometimes known as demureness, demureness is toning down, is a mode of dress and deportment which intends, intends to avoid the encouragement of sexual attraction in others. The word modesty comes from the Latin word modesto, which means keeping within measure. So modesty is a mode of dress and deportment which intentionally intends to avoid encouraging of the sexual attraction of the other. Modesty diminishes the natural beauty that God has given to you as a woman. So now I'm going to go into some practicals, and it's not nearly It's exhaustive, and it may, it's not even, maybe even all balanced. But I will attempt to get some practicals, because I want you to know the heart of God. I want you to know the world you live in. I want you to know what God emphasizes, and then what God tells us not to do. So, we're going to get somewhat practical. And I want to remember, I want to do a little bit like Lindell say, I'd like to not point to anybody, and I'm going to be, Giving general principles, and and I would say for the most part, it is for both teaching, for awareness, and for avoiding uh, maybe drifting. For the most part, because we are from a position of strength. So number one, ladies. Check your figure. Does it, what you wear, accentuate your female parts? Or does it diminish them? And you can ask your father or your husband. Now, I'm not a seamstress, and I I don't know the practicals of how to do this. But I know it when I see it. In general, general terms, looser dresses with more pleats is better than tighter. Do you remember those? I don't. Know if they still have them or not? Those horrible tube dresses where the woman is like it's almost. Well, I'm not gonna looseness pleated, and then there is some cloth that is more clingy, and there is some material that is stretchy. Both of those tend towards immodest, revealing the form. Uh, I could have actually taken a lot of quotes from the early Christians about clothing, and I only have one. And uh, that, when I read the early Christian writings, I realize, okay, so the modern church is saying, well, it really doesn't matter or it's an overdoing or whatever. The early church did not say that. They they actually addressed it. And uh, Clement of Alexandria in AD 195 said, and he was saying about luxurious clothing, which is a type of material. Luxurious clothing that cannot conceal the shape of the body is no more a covering. For such clothing, falling close to the body, takes its form more easily clinging to the body as though it were the flesh, it receives its shape and outlines the woman's figure. As a result, the whole make of the body is visible to spectators, although they cannot see the body itself. So that was uh, Alex uh, Clement was actually a, an instructor to new Christians, and so he actually has quite a bit of instruction about clothing and a lot of other things because as new converts were coming in, he had he was had a teaching classes and so a lot of his writings are, are available in that form. Your figure, stretchy material. Sweaters are stretchy. A tight sweater will reveal your shape inappropriately. It will. It dies. Wear looser sweaters. If it's a little too tight, don't button it up. We generally say no pullover sweaters for that reason. I have seen loose enough pullover sweaters that are modest. But generally, they're not. If you have a pullover sweater that is tight, please do not wear it. Don't wear T-shirts in a public setting either. Same thing, stretchy material. That's number one. Number two is necklines. What can be fine in front of a mirror may not be so fine in other positions. And I am not sure... But I am wondering if this might be an area of drift. I'm not going to make that judgment. But I think it is. Lower necklines are an exclusively a feminine practice. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. It's no accident why that is so. So yeah, we are at a good place, but drift. We're talking about. We talked a little bit about change this morning. There are some things we actually don't want to change. I mean, maybe the the expressions of modesty don't always stay the same, but the actual practice of it, we actually don't want to change that. Like row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. You know, it just goes gently. Just goes gently. It's quiet. It's soft. It's easy. And there's drift. Look at generational pictures of families if you want to see drift. There's only one logical outcome of drift. It'll end up where it's drifting. Number three is hairstyles. Um, I'm going to mention it because Peter and Paul both mention it. Um, They had their styles. But stylish, trendy hairstyles loose strands on purpose. Sometimes it's not possible to swoop, to roll up, or to braid it, or to follow in some kind of fashion. My plea is... Don't. Fashion your hair simply and orderly. I'm not saying that you pull it back so tight that you pull like some people pull the hair out. No, no, no. Make it nice. Make it attractive. But don't follow the fad or the style that is out there. There is, I'll get that later. Don't. Get, fashion your hair after some older godly woman who has learned to accept herself and is at ease with her body. Don't draw attention to yourself with your hair. Now, I do go past a rather liberal Mennonite church, and I see the students out playing in the playground. And it's here in that setting that I often see the latest trends that are coming into the Mennonite church. And those trends, one thing I noticed, that the trends I see there eventually end up in our circles. Later, they start somewhere, but they do have their way coming in. Now, I am going to. One thing I noticed, yeah, the charity movement has facilitated long and loose dresses, and it has pretty well been disseminated in the general Anabaptist culture in a way that it hadn't been in the past. Well, that has had its day. According to To what I see in trends, that is past in some circles. May I be a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet. But may I guess, it just might have an impact in our circles soon. Danny Keniston, back when the original correction was implemented did a survey where he asked a large number of men. I don't know how many, but he asked a large number of men. He asked them this question. Does a bear shaved leg with a cute or pert shoe or sandal, is that an eye catcher? And every one of those men said, yes, that is an eye catcher. That draws the eyes of men. When you have a bare shaved leg with a trendy shoe. His advice was, if you wear a little bit of a shorter dress, am I talking about not, not way down that where your, your, your legs are covered completely, if you're going to wear a shorter dress, Wear socks or dark nylons, darker. But if not, then your dress should actually go down to your shoes. Tone down the legs and the feet. Don't enhance them by exposing them or by wearing bright or trendy footwear. Leggings. Leggings are a new phenomenon. I never saw it coming. I don't even know when it come. And I'm not opposed to them. I think actually it's, it's, it's probably a good addition. I, I am, I'm fine with that. Um, but I have a word about them. They should normally not be seen they should be considered an undergarment. Um, in my childhood, we got the Reader's Digest and there was a feature in there. They had different features, laughter the best medicine, you know, they had a number of things. But they had a feature in there about embarrassing moments or times. And the title of it was, Pardon Me, Your Slip is Showing. And the idea of... And the idea, a slip is an undergarment. A slip is supposed to be shorter than the dress and hidden. And to have that exposed was actually a shame. You actually did not want that. I thought if I want to have a clickbait title, don't put this title on there. I could put this part of me, your slip is showing. But that's not the title. Where in the world? Where as W-E-A-R? Where in the world is the title? But undergarments are not appropriate to be seen. So, so if if you wear a little shorter dress, don't depend on your leggings to sh- to cover it. Wear something else to cover that. <clears throat> um. Modesty is partly not dressing to draw attention to yourself. And that would include the brightness of the dress material that you choose. And the print, both the size and the style and the contrast. The swirls and the zigzags and the big blotchy patterns and they're just numerous ways where you look over a crowd and psh, psh, certain ones stand out. Um, I think that inappropriately drawing attention, that there should be that toning down, the the, the heart that God is for, the, the quiet and the reserved heart coming out in a dress should show in that way as well. Now the world gets the impression that God's ways are oppressive, that they're abusive, they're discriminatory. But it's the same world that calls evil good and good evil. And the Christian church, unfortunately, as a whole, has bought into this to a significant degree. So you will read modern commentaries, and you will read modern commentaries, and they will explain these away. These verses that I write, they will explain away. You can listen to messages on these verses, and it does not mean that. That's what they say, that the church is saying that. But it's God who loves us and wants us to be free and flourishing. I need to move. my. So the humanist says, it's my body. I can do what I want with it. Today's Christian says, it's my liberty. I can do what I want. The Christian says, I belong to God. He can tell me what to do. Um, a couple things. This came from Dean Taylor. He said, he said, considering the general concept of being in order, separated, and sober, he said, may I serve a simple application that I have found useful. If it is unzipped, zip it. If it is hanging out, tuck it in. If it is untied, tie it. If it is unbuttoned, button it, unless it's a too tight sweater. <laughs> if it's sticking up, Comb it down. If it's hanging down, pull it up. If it's flashy, subdue it. If it's revealing something it shouldn't, cover it up. If it looks like the world, smells like the world, sounds like the world, separate from it. And he says, you probably get the idea. He said, it's not an exact science, but at the very least, it's a pretty basic discipline that engages the concepts of orderliness discipline and separation, which is the definition of holiness, separation unto God. We know it is the heart of God that we be a special people set apart and clearly distinguishable from the world around us, for we know God desires a holy people. Now may God bless you, ladies. We as men do not deserve such a people as you, such a precious jewels and examples as you have been and are. And my prayer is that may you find and experience the freedom and the blessing that God has for you. And we men, may we as men, be leaders to our wives and our daughters and our church. May we be an example of purity and holiness that is fitting for a people who call on the name of the Lord. We do fail. We have not arrived. But let's leave no stones unturned. May the Lord bless you. May God bless you, ladies. I appreciate you very much. Thank you.